Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. All right, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Oh, four through chapter two, verse five. All right, verse four, going to chapter two, verse five. So it's a lot to read. Bear with me, okay? Bear this burden with me. I am not good at reading out loud. I get a little anxious. All right, chapter one, verse four. We like to go line by line, verse by verse here at Cormdale. We value each word of the Bible. So I'm going to continue to read. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel and your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. There are your servants and your people, they are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I, Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, in the month of Nisan, sure, in the twentieth uh, year of King Arda, Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face so sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing to be, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I had a very much, then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's grave, lies in ruins, and the gates you have been, and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and your servants, has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Hmm. Nehemiah, audacious, bold. Our lead pastor, Billy Glossom, is going to come up. Um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that um, you hear our cries that um, you see us and you know what we need. You know what we are even going to say before we even say a sentence. Where can we go to leave your spirit? 
We can go up to the highest sky and you are there. We can go underground and you are there. There is nowhere we can go to escape you. And I thank you for your invasive kindness. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are ever with us and ever present. I ask you make us more aware of yourself here. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us to redeem us, to rebuild us, <laughs> to renew us. Thank you that your love reaches, reaches so far, so deep, so wide. I ask you to be with Billy, that you would lead his thoughts and his words, that you would order his mind, um, that you would hide him behind the shadow of the cross, that it would not be him, but it would be fully you, fully you in your glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. George, oh, come here, George. He's trying to make a, a lot of an appearance today, I guess. All right, well, I hope you guys are well. Um, I've enjoyed looking through Nehemiah uh, this past week, prepping, um, looking into specifically these uh, prayers that we're going to be looking at from Nehemiah this morning. And as I was doing so, I just couldn't help but think of how we think of Nehemiah, um, kind of like we think of other figures in our life where we feel like they're almost other than or just these incredible people that we can never be like. Here's what I mean. Like like so many other people during the COVID-19 quarantine, I got completely engrossed in the Last Dance documentary, which was about the 97-98 Chicago Bulls and the larger-than-life Michael Jordan. Now, here's the deal. I'm not a huge basketball guy, never have been. Uh, my relationship with Michael Jordan is basically Space Jam and the fact that he is from North Carolina and played for the Tar Heels. That's all I got, right? So, of course, as a little kid, I loved Michael Jordan, but I never watched Jordan play, right? When he was in his prime, I was 10 years old. So, I know he's the greatest of all time, but I wasn't really paying attention. So, to watch these highlights, to hear these stories, it was just kind of mind-blowing, really, to see how incredible Michael Jordan was. I mean, how does somebody play basketball like that? I remember watching some of the games where he went off on um, the Celtics or when he, there was the flu game, and he is just playing outside his mind. He has this incredible ability to play basketball like nobody else. And watching him play, it's like, how, how could you ever play basketball like that? Who's talented enough to, to measure up to that? Unfortunately, though, I think that's how you and I often read uh, the Bible. I think we view Bible characters as if they're Jordan-esque right? We look at people like Nehemiah and we have almost this kind of like, man, they are so talented that they're so like close to God. Like they're not even a real person. And that's just not the case, right? Today, we're going to zoom into Nehemiah's prayer life. And it's going to be easy for us to see this prayer and have this mindset that he is superhuman, but that isn't the case, not at all. Nehemiah is a normal person. Just like you and I, he's just a guy, right? He's just a normal person. That's what makes this specific book all the more important. Because God uses ordinary people to carry out his plan in the world. He uses people like you. He uses people like me, right? There's nothing particularly spectacular about Nehemiah. This is a, a deep reminder that God desires to work in you for his very good purposes. And so today we're going to look at Nehemiah and we're going to see two different prayers, right? And here's what I want us to catch this morning. We are called to a relational prayer life. 
We are called to a relational prayer life. As we examine Nehemiah's prayer life, I think it's going to expose in you and I a deficiency of sorts that we often have either a mechanical prayer life or a subpar prayer life. So so we're going to start in our study and we're going to see Nehemiah is in a particular situation, right? Last week we saw that Nehemiah, uh, he has this incredible example that God he has this expectation of you and I, right? Nehemiah hears this news of his people. He asks, hey, how's everything going in Jerusalem? And finds out Jerusalem is in shambles. The walls are in ruin. And Nehemiah is broken because of that. And so last week, we kind of asked the question, you know, is this descriptive? Is this a moment in history that you and I are supposed to look at and and learn from? Or is this uh, prescriptive? Is this something that you and I should take and apply? And we saw that, yes, indeed, God's expectation of us is that we would be people who are marked by empathy and compassion, that our hearts are moved by the sorrows and losses of others, that we are people, men and women, who enter into the fray. We don't avoid it. So particularly, we talked about there's been a lot going on globally. It starts with COVID-19 and just this massive crisis of loss of life, people who are lo- who've lost their jobs, people who are struggling. And then now we see this big issue of racial justice and there's this disparity that's going on and so it's easy to kind of jump in and both of these things have become highly politicized and there's lots of debate going back and forth but rather than being aggressive or trying to become a keyboard warrior we see that we follow Nehemiah's example to enter into the fray to fight and contend for justice to love and show mercy like Jesus right we don't avoid it we press in. Where we see sorrow, where we see loss, or where we see difficulty, we don't turn a blind eye to that, but we engage it. That's what we've been called to as the people of God, right? That we have been shown that mercy, so it's God's expectation that you and I would extend that mercy. Now, that's what we saw last week. Now, entering into this week, Nehemiah is going to show us how to pray, right? Again, one of the big things that we talked about last week is that we would start from a place of brokenness, that we would be broken before the Lord because of the brokenness of our world. Now Nehemiah is saying, hey, let's take that brokenness, let's take that energy, let's take that fuel, and let's pour that into prayer. And I love this because the reason I want to point out that Nehemiah is ordinary is that prayer is just one of those really weird things, right? We, we all know that we should pray. We all know that it's something that we should be doing on a regular basis. I mean, I don't think anybody's watching this or listening to a podcast and going, hold on, wait a minute. Are you saying, are you really saying that you want me to pray? I mean, you can't mean that, right? Obviously, we all get it, right? I think we all know that we should be a praying people. But talking to so many people about this, it comes back that we generally have this consensus that most of us kind of stink at it. Most of us don't have a great prayer life. And if we're sober, I think we can be intimidated to look at Nehemiah as an example, right? Because he prays this big, grandiose prayer. How can I pray like that? But friends, Nehemiah is just a normal guy like us. And I think his example is particularly helpful for us. See, because unlike Nehemiah, 
You and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit that helps us pray. So let's enter into this text this morning with confidence. And let's see first, there are two kinds of prayer here. Two kinds of prayer. All right, so we, uh, when we looked at this passage, and, and Hannah, you just did such an excellent job, so I'm not going to reread the whole passage. What we see is two prayers, right? The bulk of chapter 1, starting in verse 4, really to the end, um, is Nehemiah kind of summarizing his months of long prayers before the Lord, petitioning, praying, and then you get to chapter 2, and you see kind of this really shotgun prayer, right? And and so you've got this set aside block. Um, think about this like your morning quiet time, your devotional time, your meditation time, whatever buzzword we want to use for the time that we seek to be with the Lord for an extended period of time, right? That's what Nehemiah is recording for us here as he recounts his prayer in verses 5 through 11. He gives us a model of deep, intimate prayer, and that's very important But what I want us to notice on top of this communion with God that was, it says here, day and night, this set-aside time, you also have Nehemiah kind of offer up this kind of rifle shot prayer. At the very end of chapter 1, he just prayed, give your servant favor with this man. In other words, hey, God, give me favor as I go before the king, right? And now he's at work. And that's important, right? He's not at church. He's at work. Nehemiah pours the glass of wine, he samples it, waits to see if it's poisonous, and then he takes it to the king. And then the king said, you look sad, what's up? And he answers, well, may the king live forever. My loyalty is with you. Why should I not be sad when the graves of my father lie in ruin? The king responds, Why, what are you requesting of me? And he, he, this is where we see it. It says, it says in verse 4, this mention of a quick prayer. And he, you, know, you kind of just think, what's Nehemiah saying? He's like, okay, God, you know, I, pr- I prayed about this earlier, Lord. Please be with me. It's, it's a rifle shot prayer at work. So we have these two kinds of prayer. They're, they're both being established here where you have just kind of this built out set time of prayer between you and the Lord. And then you have these little rifle shot communication uh, throughout the day. Now, if we're honest, I think for relationships to really flourish, for relationships to have a lot of vibrancy, we need both. Now, I think about Hannah and I. Hannah and I, uh, we try to structure and have date nights. And for this past season, that's really kind of moved to our kitchen table on Saturday mornings because where are we going to go right now? Uh, And that's where we try to focus on each other. We try to ask questions. For me, I want to see how her heart is, how she is doing, and she does the same for me. Hannah knows that I often try to uh, kind of push through or carry stress. And so this week, you know, she mentioned already our dog was sick. And if you watch our morning devos, you already know that. And as she already mentioned, and and it was a long week, right? There was like a couple nights where I was up super late with him. And so we also had some important meetings and there was a lot going on and it was an intense week. And in the moments when I'm stressed, right, it can come out as agitation. So I can be a little short or a little bit snippy. And uh, I can, I can, you know, be a little aggressive. And so she noticed this and just prayed with me in the car as we waited to get our dog. Why does she do that? Because she loves me well, right? She knows that I need to calm down 
and rest in the Lord's presence. Now, we have these times of conversation where we're, we're being, you know, kind of intimate with each other about what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. And, and we get a little deeper and we've, we've had these great moments like that. But that's not all we do, right? We have these little shotgun conversations throughout the day. I mean, she'll call me when I'm at the office. I'll call her on lunch breaks. We text each other throughout the day. You know, hey, how's your day going? What's up? How's work? That kind of thing. And I, and I know we all know the relationship breaks down, right? If Hannah and I are, are sitting there and she goes, hey, babe, how was your lunch? And I say, listen, but why don't you go ahead and just save that for a date night? You know, I, I, I got you on the books this weekend. We're going to have a date night. So when we get together for date night, we can talk about that. So go ahead for now. Just write that down and we'll discuss it later. That's not going to go well, right? That's going to go very poorly, right? It's not going to work, but it's also not going to work if all Hannah and I have are these little one-off conversations and we don't really have any time for her and I to pull off and sync up with one another. Both are required for a vibrancy of relationship. So here's the thing. It's not a stretch for you to understand your relationship with God is going to flourish if you had both of these and it would suffer if you lost either one of these. It's funny how one feeds into the other. If you have a set time where you're saying, I'm going to pray, I'm going to lay these things before the Lord, wouldn't it make sense then that it would overflow as you... Let's take a person. Uh, let's take a person from work, right? Let's let's say uh, there's a person at work you just can't stand, right? Um, let's take that person, him or her, whoever he or she is. You have this person at work that you just kind of struggle with. You, you don't like. You don't know how to be kind to them. You don't know how to have compassion or show patience towards them. If you are praying for them in the morning, right, and you say, "Lord, help me with this person," I, I just do not care for them. And I know you love me and I have ugly stuff in me, but I just lack patience with this person. And then you say, Lord, please help me. Amen. And then you get in your car and you get out. And as soon as you do, boom, there she is. There's Karen. And she's walking up to you. As soon as you walk in, you're aware and you're like, okay, Lord, here it is. I've laid this before you, Lord. Help me. Help me, right? And now you can kind of Nehemiah rifle shot and go, okay, here we go, Lord, here we go. Hey, Karen, how are you? You doing all right? No, I can't have lunch today. You know, have a good day. Good to see you this morning. Blessings. And then run as fast as you can to your office. Lock the door and feel good about yourself, right? I know that's silly, but the idea is there that we can pray and then that prayer can overflow into our life where it's not an uncommon thing. We're walking in step with the Lord and respond that those little blocks bleed out into the rest of our life. If human relationships work this way, how much more does our relationship with our Heavenly Father work this way? Here's what I'm saying. If, if you don't have a set block or you don't have these kind of shorter rifle shot prayers, I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm just saying that the vibrancy of your relationship with God is suffering. You're not robbing God. You're robbing yourself. Because to behold Jesus, to have a relationship with God, is to be transformed by Him. And I fear that so many of us, were stuck in these bad patterns simply because we won't connect with the relational component that we've been rescued into. 
if you're thinking morally, right, about prayer and not relationally, you're thinking wrongly. Now, I want to say this because I believe it's true and I believe it's helpful. You have to be proactive. You do. You're never going to accidentally fill your spaces with prayer ever, right? If you get an hour to kill, if an hour opens up, this rare hour where you just have time to kill, if that happens to you, you will never fill that with prayer. You're going to catch up on Netflix. You're going to do whatever else it is that you do, but you're not going to fill that hour with prayer. And I'll tell you why, because there is a war, a real spiritual war occurring about you connecting relationally with God. If all God is to you is an ambiguous idea that you love, right? You love the idea of God, but not necessarily love God and have a relationship with God. Transformation is at best slow or does not happen at all. So you begin to be this churchgoer who's not walking in the fullness of life that God has brought about in Christ for you. But if you will stop from this abstract concept of God and instead connect relationally with God, if you set aside periods of time to pray and consider and then from there have that overflow into the rest of your life, the rest of the areas of your life, now, now we're moving. Now transformation is occurring. Now you're a bit dangerous to what is evil, what is dark in the world, right? I, I don't think our enemy has a, 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 if you don't think, right, that our enemy just doesn't care, then you're fooling yourself. Absolutely, the enemy has a vested interest in us not praying. That's why you don't fill your space with prayer. That's why this is a struggle. And that's why Nehemiah is such a great example for us. He's such a great example for us. Let's look second. Let's look at the structure of Nehemiah's prayer. So look again at his prayer. Let's jump down in verse 4 here. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now that's a long prayer, right? But I love this prayer. It is a blessing, right? These kinds of prayers are blessings that God gives us in Scripture, these models of prayer. 
And this is one of the great prayers of the Bible. And if you find yourself struggling with prayer, let me suggest that we look at Nehemiah's example. Look at the structure here. Learn learn from the structure. Ask, how is Nehemiah shaping this prayer? How does it begin? Well, he starts right off the bat with adoration. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, which is a favorite designation of Nehemiah's, by the way. He's going to say that throughout the book. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant with steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. His prayer begins with God. And how does his prayer end? With God. With those who delight to fear your name. Begins and ends with the Lord. What a beautiful statement that is. What are the people of God like? They are those who delight to fear God's name. How delight and fear in the same sentence, in the same phrase. Man, I love that. That it's all about God. And when we look at the disciples in the New Testament as they walk with Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We're struggling with prayer. Help us. How are we supposed to pray? Jesus gives them an example, but he very well could have said, why don't you just go read Nehemiah 1? Right? What does Jesus say? He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how you pray, right? You begin with God. There's this rich depth to prayer that is based in Nehemiah's knowledge of who who God is and his love for him. Now remember, catch that. It starts here with the Lord because again, it is a connection relationally with the God that we know, not an abstract concept that we sometimes think about. There is a worshipful component here. And that's because prayer should be worshipful. We should be in awe of our great King as we come before him. And while you and I can boldly approach God in prayer, we we take time to acknowledge God's glory, his thoughts and wisdom and the wonder of his love and grace. That's where Nehemiah starts. So he starts with adoration, and then he moves to confession, right? It moves from adoration to confession of sins. Verse 7, we've acted very corruptly. Notice what Nehemiah does. It's not just Israel that have sinned, but he has sinned, right? There's Israel, and then there's the we's, and then there's the I's. He puts himself right with them. He takes collective responsibility for the sins of God's people. The reason why they're in the mess that they're in now, that they're in captivity, that Jerusalem is in ruins, is because they have sinned. And he's confessing sin as Jesus taught his disciples, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's repentance here. There's talk here about repentance, about just as sin is the cause of the trouble. So the way back to blessing is to repent of that sin, to turn from that sin, and to cling to the Lord. Then there's this open confession of sin. But but then there's a request, right? So if you think about our, our time in uh in uh, the CBR journal, we have adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? And I think thanksgiving is woven throughout this, but we see particularly supplication or a request. And the request is summarized in verse 11. Have mercy. Have mercy 
O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah is supposed to go before the king. And in the sight of Artaxerxes, who has stopped the rebuilding work in Jerusalem, Nehemiah understands, right, that he is in this extraordinary position of influence with the king, right? He's with him every day. And I'm not sure if Nehemiah fully understood how God was going to answer this particular prayer, because as we read the book of Nehemiah, it's breathtaking, and we're going to look at that next week. It's this heart-stopping moment when Nehemiah actually has to address the king, and his life is probably in danger. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Remember your word. Remember your promises to your people. Do you notice how many times he says they are your people? You have redeemed them by your great power, by your strong hand. Do this for your sake. If we're praying this today, it might say something like, do this for Jesus' Do this for Jesus' sake. Do this for the sake of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Do this for the sake of his blood, for the sake of his honor, for the sake of his integrity. But all that is going to come. And now, Nehemiah, he's waiting. I, I waited patiently for the Lord, he says. And he inclined unto me and heard my prayer. Nehemiah's waiting, waiting in prayer, waiting before the presence of God. Is that where you and I are today? Are we waiting in the presence of God? Are you waiting before God in prayer with a burden on your heart? Again, we talked about our society and just what is happening in our culture as there's so much turmoil and chaos. Are you sitting before the Lord? Right? Is your first response anger, right? Be it at either side. Is your first response um, kind of just a fury or bitterness or brokenness or whatever? But it is that leading you to Sit in the presence of God to petition him for justice, to petition him for mercy. Take courage from Nehemiah. This is an extraordinary, encouraging thing to see God having mercy, stepping in, remembering his word, coming to the aid of his people, answering Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah gives us this outrageous, incredible example of what it looks like to sit before the Lord in prayer. Friends, I would petition you as you examine your life, see whether or not you are responding to the Lord in waiting, anticipating prayer. If all we do all day long is treat God as a concept that we add to ourselves and we just blow people up on social media and we just kind of walk around with this low-grade fatigue from everything that's gone on that leads us to just snap at everybody and we're not sitting before the Lord, how can we expect lasting change? We need Jesus. So we bring us, what brings us here to the last point here, how can we pray? How can we pray? One of the things that we see in Nehemiah that I love in this long prayer is really Nehemiah is just quoting the Bible. He's just quoting scripture. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, Moses writes, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's almost word for word what Nehemiah prayed. 
God. You're a covenant-keeping God. And Deuteronomy now is being clung to by Nehemiah. And he's saying, you're a covenant-keeping God. I know it because your word says you're a covenant-keeping God. Then, in Deuteronomy 4, you get a a really kind of just gritty text, but one that actually helps Nehemiah in his present circumstances. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 4 in verse 25. When your fathers... When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. It's a really, you know, just great text there to encourage you. But it says, and there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Now, this is not a text that we would put on a t-shirt, right? And yet... This is bringing immense comfort to Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, God, you told us this would happen. Nehemiah's confession in his prayer is, we have acted corruptly against your law. You told us this would come if we turned our backs on you. You are the one true God, and we have chosen things that were not God to serve. And in serving these things that are not God as though they were God, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. Now, let me say this for you. The reason hard texts are important is that we live in a broken world, okay? If anyone should never be surprised by disease, death, natural disaster, injustice, hardship, tribulation, and trials, it should be the believer in Christ who knows the word of God says these things are a reality. And that's what makes the prosperity gospel, right? The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel so broken because it creates a type of utopia that is foreign to the world that we actually live in. To know such things are possible has us place our hope in a place where hope can be fulfilled and not have us put our hope in a place that is most definitely not going to be fulfilled. If you love the Lord, bad things aren't going to happen. Well, most people in the Bible died badly, okay? If I put my hope in Jesus, all of my business dealings are going to work. No, but what you'll have is Jesus, and he's enough regardless of what comes your way. So he goes on, Nehemiah does, and this is the bulk of Nehemiah's prayer in the Deuteronomy text. In verse 29 it says, But from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So Nehemiah's confidence, even though, right, he's fearful and going into work and saying to King Artaxerxes, I want to go rebuild what you guys destroyed a couple hundred years ago, is that God said, God said, if his people 
would turn their faces back to him and seek him, he would grant them a restoration of Judah. So he wants to go back. He wants to do what God said to do. Where's this confidence coming from? It's coming from the word of God. So here's how I want to land the plane. I want to give us an exercise for all of us in how to pray scripture. Um, The specific example I'm going to to give here is from Matt Chandler, who's from the Village Church. But this is something that we've seen just throughout church history. And that's praying the Bible. That's praying scripture. Now, there's a really incredible little book called Praying the Bible uh, by Donald S. Whitney. And it's so good. I would would totally uh, recommend it to you. But what I want to do is I just want to open up God's word here. I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 3. That's why I laughed earlier. And I just want to look at a quick example of how to pray through the text. And then here's what we're going to do. Okay, I'm not with you, so I can't see you personally, so I can't make you do this. But with your family, or if you're uh, on your own as you're watching this, take a little bit of time at the end of this to pray through Colossians chapter 3. Now, what does that look like? Well, that, that's what I want to do now, is read Colossians 3 and just kind of give you guys an example. So it says this in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, set the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So you can read a verse, you can read a section like I just did and then stop and say, God, I am so thankful that you have raised me with Christ. That because of what you have done for me, I am no longer seated here below. But Lord, it's so easy to have my mind distracted. It's so easy to set my mind on things below. God, please help me to set my mind on things above. Please help me to put my trust in you, to to, to rest in your goodness and mercy over and above any of the things that would pull me down here to earth. And I know Hannah and I are are working through uh, just trying to purchase this home and there's a lot to think about and it's really easy to just kind of get bogged down instead of having my eyes focused up on you, Lord. Keep me focused. We could keep going, right? Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. God, forgive me for the times, Lord, where I can let uh, my anger boil over and I can be ungracious to people. Uh, forgive me, Lord, for the times which I'm not content and satisfied with what you've given me and I covet after things that I think will satisfy but don't. Do you see the example? I, I'm just kind of walking through the text a little bit. But we can let God's word stir our hearts, stir our minds to actively pray and seek him. Now, here's the thing. Nehemiah is not quoting Deuteronomy to God because God needs to hear it. He's quoting Deuteronomy because he needs to hear it in his soul. I fear that many of us don't open this unless it's Sunday. And again, what's happening is we are robbing ourselves of joy. And so the reason I'm landing the plane here, and I'm just petitioning you, I'm not there with you in your home. 
if you're listening to this or if you're watching this, but I would petition you as we come to a close today, let's take time to with your, with your spouse, with your family, uh, by yourself, sit before the Lord and let's pray through Colossians 3. Let's be a people who are shaped by the Word of God. Would Coram Deo Church be a church that is shaped by the Word of God? Would we relate to God not as a concept that we like with whatever political agenda we may think fits us best, but would we relate to God as He relates to us through His Word? Would we allow that to shape us, to chisel us into the people of God? Will we remember this? That God is faithful. That God's constant. God's unchanging. That God forgives over and over again. And would our worship be true and lead to obedience like Nehemiah's? Let's pray. God, you have given us in your word an incredible example. We just have this amazing, amazing truth, Lord. We have this unbelievable good news, God, that you you declare the truth of your word in our hearts and that these promises are ours. Forgive us for the ways, Lord, that we neglect to sit before you, that we neglect to have a real relationship of prayer with you, that we would walk, Lord, in dependence upon you, that we would, yes, sit before you and expose our hearts to you, and then, God, just commune with you throughout the day. May we be a people like Nehemiah, shaped by the very word of God, that we would pray and respond, and that we would hope to see mercy and justice flow. God, heal our land. There is such insidious racism that is being denied over and over by so many. There is deep brokenness. There are people who've lost businesses and homes. And there are people who are just deeply broken, God. We see injustice just swirling around. And rather than pressing into this as God's people, we tend to jump online as keyboard warriors, refusing to have compassion or mercy or to hear anyone. You've called us to be a people of mercy. You call us to be a people of compassion. You call us to be a praying people. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to be a people who live and walk like Jesus, who show mercy and compassion. Would our first response not be, Lord, anything else but humble prayer before you, God? Forgive us for the ways we try to seek anything and everything over and above you. Would we come to you first? Shape us, stir us, move us, work in us, Lord, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, NC. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.